the Sunday Sermons Podcast. Once again, this morning, we're going to be remembering today and in the next couple weeks, uh, we're going to be remembering again together that Jesus Christ will always be and must always be the center of it all. He alone can bring hope into this world, fulfill prophecy, uh, bring joy and peace and love into this world. He alone, as the Christ candle represents, he alone is at the center of it all. But he alone, the center of it all, has invited us into it. He alone has not only invited us, he has commanded us to be part of it. We represent these things to the world. It's kind of like uh, probably there were some gifts exchanged yesterday, I'm guessing, in most of y'all's homes. Uh, there's usually some wrapping paper involved, right? The first thing you see is the wrapping paper. You see how it's packaged. And, and you see your name on it. That's us. Jesus is the gift. The gospel is the gift. The, ultimately, the gift is the thing. But the first thing everybody sees, the thing that makes them interested, is us. Or perhaps uninterested. Whether we like it or not, we are the front line. We are the little lights that point to the big light. We are the little hopes and prophecies and joys and pieces that all point to the ultimate fulfillment of it all. Ultimately, every single one of us is a storyteller. And I don't mean just like being able to tell a story well. I mean everything we do, everything we say is telling the story of Jesus. The only question is, are we telling it well enough? Are we telling it accurately or not? So the first question we're going to look at this morning is this. What kind of a story are we telling? All Christ followers, again, we represent him to the world, but we get to choose whether we tell his story accurately, whether we tell it passionately and intentionally and relentlessly. Paul is talking about this whole idea in 2 Corinthians 4 when he writes this. Therefore, since God in his mercy has given us this new way, we never give up. We reject all shameful deeds and underhanded methods. We don't try to trick anyone or distort the word of God. We tell the truth before God and all who are honest know this. If the good news we preach is hidden behind a veil, it is hidden only from people who are perishing. Satan, who is the God of this world, has blinded the minds of those who don't believe. They are unable to see the glorious light of the good news. They don't understand this message about the glory of Christ, who is the exact likeness of Jesus Christ. Let's pause there for just a moment. There's more in this passage. But I just want you to notice, again, the love and the compassion that shines through this passage. Jesus is not writing off. He is not condemning the people who don't understand yet. He loves them. He's inviting them. He's telling us, commanding us to go and reach them. He's not writing them off. He's inviting them as well into the story. Let's go on. You see, we don't go around preaching about ourselves. We preach that Jesus Christ is Lord. And we ourselves are your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let there be light in the darkness, has made this light shine in our hearts so we could know the glory of God 
that is seen in the face of Jesus Christ. If you were here last Sunday, I hope that's very familiar to you, and also this next one as well. We now have this light shining in our hearts, but we ourselves are like fragile clay jars containing this great treasure. This makes it clear that our great power is from God, not from ourselves. Isn't it amazing how God consistently packages amazing things in unamazing wrapping paper? Isn't that amazing? And isn't it just like Christmas? If you wrote the story, would you have put the king of all kings to be born in a stable, to be laid in a trough where they fed animals? Would you have made the first people who were announced this thing was happening by angels? Would you make them be shepherds? Shepherds is a wonderful job, but in that day, they were kind of outcasts. They weren't really the respected people of their day. Would you have written it the way it was written? The kingdom of heaven is often upside down to the way that we look at things. And in fact, not often, always, is consistently like that. James writes, listen to me, dear brothers and sisters. Hasn't God chosen the poor in this world to be rich in faith? Aren't they the ones who will inherit the kingdom he promised to those who love him? One of the biggest blessings every year, I love to see that angel tree go up and how amazingly quickly all of those tags disappear. And then here comes all the gifts and some ladies come in and they spend all day long showing love and distributing those presents to people. It's so wonderful. But what God has to offer is not so much just that somebody has something under their tree at Christmas. It's way, way bigger than that. That's one of many, many, many representations of God's love that I believe is wonderful, that I believe that our church needs to do more than ever before in this next year. It's a wonderful, beautiful thing, but it's so much bigger than just making sure people have stuff. It's so much bigger than that. And, and, and those of us who are blessed enough to share our resources, that doesn't make us any more valuable. In this kingdom, sometimes the poor are more valuable than the rich. The humble are always more valuable than the proud. This again is consistent. Jesus himself says, God blesses those who are poor and realize their need for him. For the kingdom of heaven is theirs. So here's a question. Another question. It won't be on the screen, but it's in your handout, by the way. And I hope, as always, that you go back and use these as a Bible study. Take, don't just take my word for it or my take on these verses or whatever verse I happen to be reading as the authoritative one. Just go back and study this and let the Holy Spirit walk you through that. But here's the question. How do you share this story? Not do you. You do. Maybe not intentionally, maybe begrudgingly, maybe not well, but you do share the story every day of your life, every breath you breathe. You are telling the story about Jesus. The only choice is how you do it. Are you telling it well? Are you telling it poorly? Are you at least trying to use your words? Are you being intentional with how you use your life? That's the choice we get to make. When I was growing up, a story that really inspired me a lot was the story of Johnny Erickson Tata. Anybody ever remember Johnny? 
She, uh, if you don't, and even if you do, quick review, uh, when she was a very young adult, she had a freak diving accident and was uh, an instantly a quadriplegic from that point on in her life. She prayed, believing that God would heal her. She expected that. It didn't happen. Instead, she went on to have a ministry that it lasts even now. She still has, a, she's learned how to draw by holding stuff in her mouth. She couldn't even do that before. Now she has incredible artwork. She, she became a recording artist and a speaker and so many other things. Her life, her two books, and her example have given hope to so many. Not in the way that we would expect God to do if he was going to do something miraculous. We'd expect her to be able to go on stage and show all the x-rays of this was me before and now here's my healed back. That's, that's what I would expect. But instead, God brought hope into a hopeless situation. He brought light that shone out of a fragile clay jar. He brought real answers, real tangible peace and joy that the world just doesn't understand that just radiates out of this woman and it continues to to this day. Maybe you think you can't tell the story because things just aren't going the way you expect God to do things. Maybe think you don't have a story to tell because things aren't going the way you wish they were going. You do have a story and you do get to choose how it's told. Second question we're looking at this morning is this. What kind of a kingdom are we building? And trust me, brothers and sisters, every one of you is building this kingdom. This is who we are. This is what we do. The only question is how we're building it. Are you doing it well? Are you doing it effectively? Is it following the plan that Jesus gave us or some plan that we came up with ourselves? Because here's the deal. This kingdom is not of this world. And the world doesn't need another kingdom of this world. They don't need any more governments. They don't need any more kings. They don't need any more governors and policemen and whoever else. God bless anybody who's doing those. That's not what I mean. But the answer to this world, the answer to the brokenness in the world is not one more authority that is man-made and designed the way some person thinks it should be done. The answer, the hope of this world is a kingdom that doesn't come from this world that transcends this world, that fits somehow into any government, any, any country, any nation around the world where people live. Somehow or another, it'll fit inside of that, but it's bigger than that kingdom every single time. It's different. It was always meant to be. It always will be. In the Christmas story, one of the saddest parts, sometimes we skip over because it's just so dark and so broken. But in Matthew chapter 2, you see a very typical king, especially of that day, and that's Herod. And when the wise men ask where this new king was born, he's, he has this big plan where he's going to kill the baby so the baby can't grow up to be king. And when he's Defeated in that little plan, he massacres every boy two years and younger in Bethlehem. Can you imagine? Can you imagine living through that? Can you imagine if it was your kid? Can you imagine what that would be like? I can't. Except if you've watched at all over the years, the last 2,000 years, or you read in history, you go back even further back, that's how kings do. 
That's how human governments do. That's what kingdoms look like when it's all about us and trying to seize power and trying to make everybody do things our way, whether we're right or wrong about anything. That's where it ends up, is being willing to do anything to seize and to hold on to power. The world doesn't need any more of that. They need something different. Do you remember when Jesus was tempted by the devil in the wilderness? It's a couple different places, but specifically Matthew 4, verses 1 to 11. Satan takes him out there and tempts him with several things. It's very literal and also very deeply symbolic. And in the middle, it says this. Next, the devil took him to the peak of a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in all their glory. I will give it all to you, he said, if you will kneel down and worship me. Get out of here, Satan, Jesus told him. For the scriptures say, you must worship the Lord your God and serve only him. Once again, I try to point this out and remind people about this often. The, the words we translate as worship, that word to us tends to mean singing in this kind of worship that we just did together. It includes that. But what it really means, the phrases and words we translate from other languages into English, it's always the core meaning that's always in there is one of pledging allegiance to someone, bowing down to someone, committing to put them as the authority over your life. If we sing that way and we mean it that way, then it's worship. Otherwise, we're just singing songs. If we pray that way, if we take communion that way, if we give that way, if we walk through God's word together that way, then it's worship. If not, we're just going through the motions. So obviously Jesus is talking about that kind of worship here. Obviously he's saying that God always deserves our allegiance, not the devil. Exactly what he says is exactly what he means, but don't miss, there's also something more. He's also hinting here his kingdom is not going to be an earthly kingdom. He doesn't even answer that thing to the devil. He doesn't even say that in his answer. He skips over that because it's nothing to him. He doesn't want a kingdom that lasts until he dies. He doesn't want one lifetime. He doesn't want one kingdom in an earthly style. He wants something that was before his own life began at Christmas it transcends and goes all the way into eternity. He wants to invite all of us into that kingdom. The devil just doesn't even get it at all. If you hadn't noticed that the graphics here of this particular series are kind of grainy and gray, it's, it's not a mistake. It's a tribute to all the old adventure movies way back. As soon as there started being movies, as soon as people could make moving pictures, they had adventure stories. The silent pictures, even before there was sound, there were adventures. And remember the little serials? I don't know if you've ever watched, you can just at least see them on YouTube. But before a big movie would show, there'd be a little adventure, Lone Ranger or somebody would, would do their little thing. This is kind of a tribute to that and how we're all called into the story. One story that I remember, uh, the book is amazing, the movie is the thing I think most of us know about, but it's called The Never Ending Story. Anybody remember this one? Maybe some of you remember it fondly. Maybe a lot of people I've talked to, they were scared of it and really hate it. Here's why I mention it today, just very briefly. In this story, there's a child named Bastion. And to run away from all of his problems, he starts reading this book. 
He, he, he tries to just get away from life and to avoid everything. And as he's reading this book called The Never-Ending Story, he's drawn into the story just like all of us are into a good book or a good movie. But then he finds out it's more than that. He actually becomes a part of the story. He actually plays a vital role in the story. They start talking about him. There's some things that only he can do. And it, the whole thing will fail unless he would have read that book that day. And it blows his mind. And it still blows my mind because that's exactly the way it is when we read the Bible. Just like Bastion, we join an incredibly diverse and unlikely group of Bible heroes and heroes of the faith that still live today. We join them as we flee from the darkness and as we fight against the darkness and we embrace the one true hope that we're given. It's different than in that story. I'm not trying to draw too many parallels. It is a little creepy. But it's also such a beautiful idea that we can get caught into this never-ending story. And it's truly good news that this is real. Jesus himself says, and the good news about the kingdom, pay attention because this is where we come in. This is where we, like Bastion, get sucked into the story. Listen. And the good news about the kingdom will be preached throughout the whole world so that all nations will hear it. And then the end will come. How many would like Jesus to come back really quickly? I am. I would, I would love that. Would you like it today? Would it be great? It'd be awesome. We better get busy. Because there's going to be something that has to happen first. He told us that. His prophecies always come true. His commands always come true. Jesus is in control of history. The gospel will be preached throughout the whole world. Everyone will get a chance. Who do you leave that up to? This is an easy question. I've said it about 15 times so far just this morning. Who did he leave this up to? Us. This is, this is the final act of this story. Now we're in it. Here we go. And someday he's going to look at every single one of us. He tells stories about that all the time. At the end of one in Matthew 25, he says, Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the creation of the world. Remember that one? This is the ultimate fulfillment of the kingdom because it's bigger than this world. It's not of this world. In John 18, 38 is where Jesus himself uses this phrase, this idea that his kingdom is not of this world. If you look at everything he said about the kingdom of heaven and about the kingdom of God and about all of the things he told us about he wants us to do in the here and now, and what to expect in heaven, you smash all that together, you can guess really easily. You don't need Jesus to tell you that his kingdom is not of, is not of this world because it's not. It's totally different. It's a completely different thing thing but this is where Jesus himself said it as he's about to give his life for us Jesus answered my kingdom is not an earthly kingdom if it were my followers would fight to keep me from being handed over to the Jewish leaders but my kingdom is not of this world so again how are you helping to build Christ's kingdom because brothers and sisters we are the only question is how? Here's another good question. If so much depends on us, what happens if we fail? 
Or better, better, more accurate, what happens when we fail? Because all of us fail sometimes. And God himself lets people tell him no. God himself lets us say no to the hope and the joy and the peace and the love that he offers. There's consequences, but he lets us have that choice. He lets us say no. One of the worst scenes, not only in the never-ending story, but in any movie I've ever seen, the most heartbreaking thing ever, is the hero of the book, whose name is Atreyu, and his horse, Artex, get caught in the swamp of sadness. And the horse starts to sink. And you hear Bastion, who's reading the story, he says, and everyone knows if you let the sadness overtake you, you sink into the swamp and you're never seen again. And the horse starts to sink. And Atreus starts to try and help him. And at first, he's very gentle about it. First, he says, oh, it's okay. I'm sad too. We got this, Artex. Come on, you're my friend. As he sinks lower and lower, pretty soon he's screaming and crying. He's going, you stupid horse! Get out of there! You're going to die! But the horse sinks. And it dies. Sometimes we're going to give everything that we have. We're going to spend everything that we are. And the people that we love the most are going to say no. But we can't give up. It's only by the power of Jesus himself that we can ever be compassionate, even at the beginning, loving and gentle and, and have empathy because we know that we could go there too just as easy. We know that we could. We know that they're not dumb. We know that they're not worth being condemned because they're just so much worse and on a different plane than we are. We love them as much, maybe more than we ever have. Sometimes they say no. Sometimes we say no. Sometimes, maybe you're at that spot right now that you are sinking in the swamp. Maybe it's you. Psalms 73, verse 26 says, My health may fail. That same word, health, can be also be translated flesh, or even just myself, my body, my spirit, just everything that is me. My health may fail, my spirit may grow weak, but God remains the strength of my heart. He is mine forever. There is hope in the midst of it. Here's what we're accountable to do. Listen to me. This is what keeps me going some days, many days. What we're held accountable to do, brothers and sisters, is to trust and obey ourselves. We're not accountable for the results. Here's one of the beautiful passages I keep coming back to over and over that explains this very well. Ezekiel chapter 3. Yes, God is explaining Ezekiel's role as a prophet to him. And he says, after seven days, the Lord gave me a message. He said, son of man, I have appointed you as a watchman for Israel. Whenever you receive a message from me, whenever you receive a message from me, warn people immediately. If I warn the wicked saying, you are under the penalty of death, but you fail to deliver the warning, they will die in their sins, and I will hold you responsible for their deaths. You catch that? That's option number one. We don't tell them, and that's why they die. We're also held accountable. If you warn them and they refuse to repent and keep on sinning, they will die in their sins, but you will have saved yourself because you obeyed me. There's option number two. 
They still die in their sins, but you don't because you did trust and you did obey. Now, here comes the third one. If righteous people turn away from their righteous behavior and ignore the ob obstacles I put in their way, they will die. And if you do not warn them, they will die in their sins. None of their righteous acts will be remembered, and I will hold you responsible for their deaths. But if you warn righteous people not to sin, and they listen to you and do not sin, they will live and you will have saved yourself too. As a minister, I, 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 I'm, I'm in that swamp all the time. I want so badly for everyone, especially anyone I've had any opportunity to have influence over at all. I want them all to make it. I hope that you can find hope in this. You, another place I find hope is this, watching some of you do that very thing. Alcoholics Anonymous meets here at Morrison Hill these days again. And that's just one example of many people that I've seen that, that reach out and they tell their stories and they share their failures and they share their struggles and how God has helped them overcome them and how godly people have and godly new habits have helped them overcome those things. I see you guys doing that. I see so many of you getting it right. I see so many people that I do have any opportunity at all to mentor or to teach that do get it right and that gives me hope and I hope that you can as well. Here's the last question this morning. What happens when we succeed? What does it look like? It's got to be more than just numbers. Christmas Eve, this place was just packed wall to wall. It's the first time I've seen it like that in a long time. It just blew my mind. I was hoping for a replay this morning. Not quite, but I'm so thankful for every single person who's here. And I'm so thankful for every person who's joining us online. But if it was just about how many people show up and sit in these pews every Sunday, I, I, I would either get excited or just quit every Sunday. <laughs> It's got to be bigger than that. What, what is it? What is it that looks, what's a win? What does it look like when we succeed? I'll tell you. It looks like people are drawn to the light and the darkness has to retreat just a little bit. That even in the darkest situations, in places where there isn't any hope, where we don't actually feel that much hope, when our prayers are not answered the way we prayed them, when things are not going the way we expect a good God would make them go, we still see the light. We still recognize that we have treasure hidden in these jars of clay and we continue to share it, sometimes mostly through the cracks in those clay jars. That's what it looks like when we win. And sometimes people are drawn to that, like a moth to a flame, like a bug to a bug zapper. That's a little dark, but it, you know what I'm talking about. They just keep coming, right? When people are drawn to Jesus, when they see that wrapping paper, where they see those little candles that hint at the bright, bright light that we all are leaning toward. When they're drawn to it, when it works, when it does work, that's what it looks like. At the end of the story in Never Ending Story, Bastion not only gets drawn into the story, but he and the other characters are able to recreate the whole thing, and it's better than it ever was before. Spoiler alert, the horse gets to come back. 
And then, not only that, all the stuff he learned in that story, he gets to bring back into his own life in our world, the real world. He even gets to fly around on that dog-looking dragon thing in our world for a few minutes. It's amazing. It's incredible. It's so fun. That's what happens. That's what it looks like when we win. Not that we get to fly on furry dragons. That's not what I mean. What I mean is this. What we read in this book, we bring it into our real life and we experience it. It's real. The power that we have when we're remembering Christmas or Easter or any of the other amazing stories that are throughout that book, they become part of our life. People start seeing it in Act 3. They start seeing it in this life right now, and it blows their minds, and they also join in on the story. Here's what it looks like. What Isaiah said, the people who walk in darkness will see a great light. For those who live in the land of deep darkness, a light will shine. Nick Wojcicki is another person, one of my favorite heroes. He was born for no reason anybody could ever figure out with no arms or legs. But this guy is married, has kids. He is a, uh, goes around the world as a, uh, as a motivational speaker. He can swim. He even climbs up the ladder and jumps off the high dive. He can drive. He can do anything you guys can do, and that's how he's been his entire life. And he has joy, and he has peace. I look at that, and I go, I don't think I could in that situation. But he can. That's what it looks like when we offer hope, when it doesn't, people can't see why we would, but somehow we do. They go, how? And then we get to tell them. That's what it looks like when we win. Jesus spoke to the people once more and said, John 8, 12, I am the light of the world. If you follow me, you won't have to walk in darkness because you will have the light that leads to life. So how will you shine the light more this next year? More than ever before, how are you going to do it? Because here's the choices that we have. You can give up. You can make the mistake and believe that it's all up to you. You can make that choice. You can allow your failure or even some of your successes that you made in your own power. Let that define you. You can find all your meaning and all your hope in that. You're going to get, at best, an earthly kingdom. And at worst, much more likely you're just going to sink in the swamp of sadness. But that's a choice you have. Or, here's the better choice. You can let the light shine through. You can seek God more than ever and say, how do you want me to shine this light now, today? Who do you want me to shine it on? Who can I encourage? What gifts have you given me? What opportunities are you giving me? And how exactly do you want me to get the job done today? And together, we can make sure that everyone in this whole world gets a chance to hear the gospel and respond to it. And then the end gets to come. And then it's a never-ending story it's better than anything that's going to happen on this side of it all. I invite you this morning, just take a step in that direction. We're going to stand, we're going to sing. If your decision that God's putting on your heart this morning needs to be public, make it public this morning. We'll pray with you, we'll walk you through that.